Welcome to Stories I Didn't Tell Last Sunday. I'm your host, Doug McAllister for Journey Fellowship Church. And joining me today in the studio is Andy Ricketts. I'm so excited to be here. Andy is the Generations Pastor at Journey. And Andy, today we're going to just talk about life. Let's do it. So really, we're picking up from where we left off yesterday. Uh, So we're doing a series at Journey right now called Ever Wonder Why? And we're asking big questions this month. And yesterday's big question was, who am I? And it was Generation Sunday at Journey. And we were talking about how every generation grapples with the question, who am I? So if you were not at church yesterday or didn't join us online, you may want to go to the Journey app and watch that sermon. It's about a 40-minute sermon. And we kind of, you know, we laid the groundwork, but there were so many things that we didn't have time to say in those 40 minutes. So we're going to kind of just take our time today and do some stories and some stats and some info that we didn't have time to share last Sunday. So we're going to ask some big questions today. Now, this is a big, big questions. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start with this one, who am I? Uh, And we laid the groundwork yesterday. uh, But uh, I want to kind of pick up from where we left off. We're, we're all reading a book at staff called uh, Faith for Exiles. Uh, this is uh, a book that we're all kind of going through together. Uh, and it's a Barna book written by the president of Barna Group uh, and, one of, uh, and a co-author. And they just explore uh, what this generation uh, from 18 to 29-year-olds have in common that keeps them grounded in their faith and their followership of Jesus. So it's an it's an incredible study, and uh, one of the uh, probably the number one thing that this generation has in common, the eighteen to twenty nine year olds have in common uh, that keeps them strong in the faith is they know who they are in Christ. Yeah, yeah. they have answered the question, "Who am I?" Yeah, yeah. And I, what I find interesting about this book, and I guess before we really get too far into it, is that this takes the look of what has kept yeah. people in the faith, yeah. what has kept students in the faith. Right. So many times, and even the, the author of this book has other books where yeah. we, we look at the statistics of how many people leave the church and what yeah. they do. This this takes a look, okay, it's one thing to know what's keeping them out, but I think it's very important what's keeping them in. What's keeping them in. Yeah. We did a series of journey like in 2009 called Unchristian that was inspired by a book by Kinnaman called Unchristian. And it was basically studying why so many young people were leaving the faith. Mm. He did another book called You Lost Me, which really took a deep dive into why we're uh, young believers abandoning the faith. But in this book, they do the opposite. What's keeping uh, this generation in the faith, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you see something yesterday that I thought was really interesting. There's 51 million yeah. Uh, yeah. kids 18 and under in America. 51, 51 million. million. That's a giant right. generation here in America. Right. And it's the one thing when I was researching, um, you know, preparing for the message yeah. that I'm not a very big statistics guy. I think yeah. they're important. I think they show things, but yeah. sometimes I think you can make statistics say what yeah. you want them to say. And sometimes they get boring. Like you get lost in the right. numbers. Yeah. I was horrible at math in school, so yeah. it just doesn't play into my yeah. uh, wheelhouse. But yeah. the one statistic that just jumped out at me and really was the why behind what yeah. we do is that, yeah. like you said, 51 million students, 18 and under in the United States. Right. And of that 51 million, close to 40 million do not know Jesus as our Savior. Man, that just 
That's, that just blows my it's mind. 80%. 80%. So there's 11 million believers yeah. under 18. And that's a great number when you that's look at n- it. Yeah, that's no small number, yeah. 11 million, yeah. but still 40 million. So like you said, that's 80%. And it's the mission field that we don't really 80% talk about. 80%. Of the young people in America. Are unreached. Right. And most of them are on TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And that's, They are what Kevin calls the digital generation. Absolutely. You know? And they're living in digital exile you know uh, big big news today you know uh if you're watching this currently this is big and maybe later it's not as big but elon <laughs> musk bought twitter this morning yeah yeah man, that's casually kinda, that's drops wow casually yeah. drops three billion dollars is that to what buy, it was three billion know, something yeah, crazy billions. so he bought like a 10 percent <sighs> stake in twitter wow he's now the single largest shareholder man i can't wait to see what happens because you know uh the digital world affects everything yeah. that we do absolutely you know? Uh, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and all the thousands of other, mm-hmm. you know, um, digital apps really just, you know, shape culture. Yeah, absolutely. Know? It's yeah. Uh, it's one of those things that, w- you know, when I talk to students at Journey Students and just yeah. students in general um, and adults and everyone, it's like yeah. the world has so much access to the Internet. Yeah. We've, got, we've got access to knowledge yeah. in, in a second, right? Yeah. But we... we don't find as much access to wisdom and what do we do with the knowledge that we have because like you said twitter tiktok they're not they're not uh you know credentialing these people to be able to share news on any of these random people you can get on and say whatever you want and they're they are they're shaping the identity of a generation I mean, you know, they're they're telling little boys that they're little girls. Yeah. I mean, it changes everything. That's you know? dangerous. Yeah. yeah. When you have when you have pre adolescent children deciding that they are another gender, yeah. and that being affirmed. I don't let my eight so, and my five year old decide what's for dinner. Right. <laughs> yeah. We don't, let our, we don't let our kids drive cars. Or right. We don't let them make decisions about most things in life. Yeah. You know, they say that you you know your brain is not fully formed until you're 25. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you can't even rent a car from 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 Enterprise until book you're a cruise t- until you're 25. Right. You can't book a cruise until you're 25. But an eight year old can decide they're a different gender. <sighs> yeah. And the wheels are coming off. Yeah. You know, it's it's accepted in society mm-hmm. because uh, our, our our kids and not necessarily our kids, but this generation. Their identity is being defined mm-hmm. outside of truth, yeah. and man, that is you know that is where we are today. But to get at truth, you have to ask the right questions. Yeah. Like somebody said a long time ago, to get the right answers, you got to ask the right questions. So, and we've done a little research about what are the big questions. You know, in the series we're doing at Journey this month, uh, ever wonder why we're asking four questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What happens when I die? Those are four of the 12 or so big questions that we identified mm-hmm. in the series. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to look at this one, who who am I? Uh, but we want to answer it in the context of following Jesus. Yeah. So Andrew, if there is an almighty creator of the universe who made us in his image. It just seems to reason that is where we should start. Right. Okay. Who is God mm-hmm. and what was his plan for us? Right. You know, so if we're going to find the answers to the big questions, maybe we need to go to the, 
source. Right. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe God knows because apparently the humans have all gone insane. Yeah. That's what we're seeing. They've all <laughs> lost their mind. I don't trust them anymore. I don't trust, I don't trust social media. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because we, we were told that uh, that the son of the president's laptop was Russian disinformation until two years after the election. Now the New York Times and the Washington Post all say, oh, yeah, by the way, that was real, but let's just move on. Mm. So they've lost all credibility. Yeah. You know, I don't trust them. I don't, I, don't, I don't trust social media. I don't trust the media. I don't, you know, I don't, they have an agenda. I don't trust Hollywood. I don't, I, don't, I don't even watch the NBA or the NFL anymore. Yeah. They're all fake. Yeah. I, I, want, I want something that's real. Yeah. And the know? one place that we find it, like I think about, so I was a teacher for, yeah. for several years in the public yeah. school system, and, and I was teaching computers, so I didn't give too many tests. But yeah. when I did give tests... I kept them as open notes. Like yeah. we would do, we would do our study guide. We would go through it together. Yeah. We would have open notes, right. and every answer to the questions that we're going to ask today, yeah. that we're going to ask throughout the month and journey, yeah, it's an open book test. Yeah, those are my favorite kind of tests. Right, the open book test. Now like, you've got to get through it and find where it use is. Use your book. I was like, right. yes, right, yes. You know, I used to hate test, especially in college, some of the professors mm-hmm. would use double negatives and, <laughs> you know, contradict themselves in the middle of the question. You got to figure out, is is this a puzzle or a question? <laughs> I hate questions like that. Are you trying to make me fail? Or the true false questions yeah. that say, this is not yeah. this. Yeah, wait a minute. We'll I've got to translate it. And, oh my gosh. Okay. I want to learn, man. But I think about it, like with an open note test or yeah. an open book test, yeah. the amount of stress that's just taken off of yeah. you. If a professor was to tell me, you I can look at your Notes. I can go find the answer. Oh, well, it's here. Yeah. So if you read the book, yeah, you kind of know the answer. Yeah. So and you know, um, ironically, we have a book, right? That the creator wrote with the answers all in it, and mm-hmm. every day it's an open book test, man. It's right there. It's if right you there just read you. the book, the answers are right there. Right, right. And I, I just find it so telling how cultural elites call Christians foolish for believing in this invisible God in his book mm. when everything that they have found is literally destroying civilization right. and they have the nerve to call us, you know, Hey, look, I'll uh, be a fool. Foolish. I'll yeah. be foolish. Man. If that's what it means. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put my hope in yeah. Jesus, the creator of the universe Amen. and in the book that he wrote. Amen. And I'm going to just trust that God knows what he's talking about. So, a shallow answer will never satisfy the human heart. Right. It'll just make us turn away and occupy ourselves with, with cat videos. Because <laughs> if you can't find the answer and there is no meaning to life, then who cares now? Right. Let's just watch meaningless entertainment. Mm. Or if we devote our life to search for truth, maybe we can find the answer mm. in the creator of the universe. So let's create some space, me and you, yeah. at Journey. For this generation that you're pastoring, we want to create a space where our students can ask big questions right. and then challenge them to grapple with the answers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Make yeah. them grapple with the answers. Yeah. Because when a, a person comes to an answer on their own, it tends to stick mm-hmm. than just telling them what to believe. And we have a culture now that tells us what to believe, right? not how to think or how to search. We're basically told you have to believe this 
are you are not a good person. You're kicked out of the club. Yeah, you're yeah, out. You're we're we're going to ban you from yeah. all the social media. You're going to get canceled. But we want our kids to ask big mm -hmm. questions mm -hmm. and then direct them to the answer book because it's an open book test. So we picked out five questions today yep. that we believe deserve answer, and they deserve for people to wrestle with them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, to be yeah. vexed by them. Yeah. You know, who am I is the first one we're going to talk about. Who am I? Who am That's I? the big, big question, you know, and really, where do I find my true self? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, the world's telling us it's found in your sexual identity. Yeah. We have reduced humanity down to our latest sexual urge. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a question the who am I question from an outside perspective yeah. can seem obvious, yeah. right? Like we can say, well, I'm this, I'm right. that, I'm, you know, whatever. But I always find it so telling if you ask someone that, yeah, what is their first thing that they say? Oh, yeah. I'm an electrician. Yeah. Oh, I'm a... What do you do? Becomes it becomes, yeah. it becomes more, my identity is tied to what I do and what I can, what I can do, my talents and my right. abilities, right. as opposed to innately, who has God created me as? Yeah. And I think that, you know, and then that comes with time and that comes with, through discipleship and, and knowing those things. But it is telling that so many people can jump to the ability as being their identity yeah. before they're anywhere else. And that's a good point. People's identity becomes their, I mean, people's uh, occupation become their identity. Yeah. But we've gone even up to a more surfacey level. Now it's the color of your skin. Yeah. You know, your whole life is revolved around the amount of, uh, melatonin that's in your skin, mm. you know, and we have divided people into groups and subgroups, you know, the oppressed versus the oppressors and yeah. the color of your skin. You know, we're judging entire groups of people mm. by the color of their skin. When God designed us as individuals, right? we are individuals mm -hmm. made in the image of God, and our skin tone has very little to do with that. Nothing. Yeah. You know, it's one of the greatest lies thrust on this generation by the political powers that be that have divided us according to the shade of our skin. Mm -hmm. You know, and man, what a trick. What an ultimate to pit people. Because if they have us fighting each other, they can just run amok with power and do whatever they our want. Our attention is elsewhere, yeah. I say we ignore the idiots that lead our political power. And this is a podcast I can call our political leaders idiots. <laughs> you make the rules here. Yeah, they're idiots. You know, we, we're led by people whose motive is not yeah. to help better humanity. Mm -hmm. Their motive is to consolidate power and wealth. And they do that by dividing us, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. where the Bible teaches us that we are individuals yeah. made in the image of God and called to love one another. Yeah and not even pay attention to the color of our skin. I mean, yeah. you know, let's face it, our Savior, Jesus, was dark-skinned. We, we worship a dark-skinned man from the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Okay, so all these Christians in the world, you know, we found our peace with that. Yeah. And because the Lord doesn't look on the outward yeah, appearance. Inside. He looks on the heart. That's right. So who I am is not what I do, or what color I am, or even what language I speak, but mm -hmm. what who I am is a spiritual question. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's about the internal workings of the human heart. Absolutely. And that's the deeper question that we want to challenge our students to ask. Mm -hmm. Who are you in Christ? Mm -hmm. Have you found your identity in the creator of the universe? Because yeah. everything else, man, is just a ship without an anchor. Mm -hmm. It's just being blown uh, on the ocean, we were fishing with some with a friend the other day, and he's a he's a boat much bigger than ours. Uh, our boat's a little bass boat. It's like a, a seventeen foot bass boat. He had a really big old boat. We had probably hold seven or eight people to fish in, but he had this really cool anchor. It was like a spear, and wherever we were fishing, he would just drop it into the lake. It would go down into the mud at the bottom and just hold us right there. Mm -hmm. Man, we'd fish there for twenty or thirty minutes. You know, it had an anchor. And what's missing today in this world, there's no anchor. Yeah. Everybody's ship is just being pushed by the wind. Yeah. You know, there's no anchor, and God's Word is an anchor. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really, again, the importance behind asking these questions yeah. and providing an opportunity. You know, we have uh, with, you know, I'll just speak specifically with Journey students, what yeah. we do is that... Um, we ask these questions. Yeah. We ask these deep questions, and the, I think the key when you're asking these questions to people is not to ask them with an answer that you're just ready to give right away. Yeah. Let the room be silent. Yeah. Let the question hang. Yeah. Let it haunt them. Because like you said, if you're just telling them what to think, you're not really growing disciples. No, you're, just, you're just... And you're not building leaders and right, adults. Right. You, know? you want to challenge them to think. Mm -hmm. yeah. And these are questions, you know, that... That are hard to answer. They are. You know, they're difficult. They're, they're not easy. Their answers are there. Yeah. The answers are there, but they're not easy answers. We did a podcast a few weeks ago on apologetics, me and uh, me and Pastor Al, and mm -hmm. we talked about, you know, Christianity can withstand hard questions. Ask the hard questions. Right. If there's a God, why is there so much pain in the world? Yeah. Because God can take hard questions. Mm -hmm. There's answers to the hard questions. If there's a God, why do people die? If, if, if there's a God... Why, why is life so hard? I mean, all, all these things are, you know, normal human responses to the condition we all live in, but Christianity can withstand yeah. hard questions. So ask hard questions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And not being afraid of, uh, like I said, just leaving the question out there for them to answer. Yeah. Uh, not coming with it uh, from a place of always having the answer, yeah. you know, discovering and, and walking through finding that answer with the person you're talking to. Yeah is huge too. Yeah, because, you know, this generation, the uh, 18 and under uh, generation, um, are looking for their true selves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're being misguided by the forces of evil in the world. Well, you know, we've reduced identity down to sexual choices. Yeah. And that is the most base urge in every human being. We've reduced human existence down to the most basis basis of all urges mm -hmm. you know what our sexual urges are mm -hmm. and man what uh what a what a collapse of civilization that we're facing mm -hmm. if a generation from now if we don't you know take uh right this ship mm -hmm. you know this ship's going to sink you mm -hmm. know and so we're we're hopeful 
that you know that this generation is going to be the generation that turns to Christ. Yeah. That's what I believe. Yeah. And look, eleven million is a lot of believers to start with. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm hopeful. It's a good starting uh, place. It's twenty percent of the population of the eighteen and under crowd. Okay, that's a good start. Yeah. yeah let's turn these these kids into fully devoted followers who in turn influence. They can others. impact the eighty yeah. percent. Right. Who is not right? You know, yeah. not being reached. Because the truth is, TikTok has more influence on kids than I do. Yeah. You know, then I, I mean, I collectively, the pastors of the of America, you know, so we need some uh, believers mm. influencing, you know, uh, social media and the digital world. Yeah, and that's an interesting point you bring up too. Is that how TikTok can have more influence? I think. Maybe I'll go off on a tangent here for a second, but I think so often we get afraid of all of these. We talk about TikTok in a negative sense yeah. a lot of times, right? right. And, and rightfully so. There's a lot of foolishness that's on yeah. there. But how do we look at this as a tool for evangelism? Yeah. Right. How do how do we how do we just instead of just f- you know falling away from it and just saying nope, I'm not a part of that? How yeah. do we take it and say okay, maybe maybe. God has brought us to this place in time with a specific purpose that yeah. we can use this yeah. uh, to reach this generation, or right. we can we can disciple this generation to be able to use this tool right. as a m- mode to reach that eighty percent that we're that we're not reaching. Yeah, because you know when Gutenberg uh, invented or uh, made popular the printing press, that was as revolutionary as the internet is today. Yeah. So the printing press of the fifteen hundreds was as revolutionary as the internet of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. You know, and look what people did. You know, uh, uh, those early church fathers saw the value of the printing press, you know, and they began to do what? Print the Bible, the Bible. in book form mm-hmm. in the common language, you know, and some of the early works, you know, uh, became the most printed books in the world, the works of uh, uh, copies of the Bible, yeah, you know, uh, so it is still the most printed book in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Th- there are estimates that there are seven billion mm-hmm. copies of the Bible in existence today. That's almost one for every person. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and it's you know in this generation they're saying that in our generation the Bible will be, be available in almost every known language on the earth. Wow. Uh, and they'll it'll be in printed form. Mm-hmm. So what what the church fathers did in the Middle Ages was use the technology to get the Word of God in the hands of common people, which I think led to the Enlightenment and the Renaissance. Yeah. It led to the rebirth of, of human culture because people once again had a direct access with God's Word. Well, we can trace that down, you know, all the way through the ages from from the, the printing press to uh, all the way to the internet, you know, in the in the mid twentieth century, television, you know, is another tool mm-hmm. uh, that has been used for evil. But look at the gospel that's gone across the world on radio, television, you know, and now here we are in the twenty first century, you know, the digital form, you yeah. know, uh, apps and yeah. uh, you know um, social media sites and podcast and you know mm-hmm. you know the number one podcast in the world is a comedian in California you know he has 30 million listeners mm-hmm. you know uh, Joe Rogan has more listeners than all of the network news in America combined yeah, yeah. 
He influences 30 million people every week. And mainstream media, about 3 million. Wow. Isn't that that insane? Yeah. That's crazy that that one man can have that voice. But... This and he's is, recording in his studio at his house <laughs> and talking to people about aliens. Yeah, for like know, seven whatever, hours at a time. Whatever's on his mind, you know? It, 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 you know, and he's, he says some pretty cool things. He was he was one of the guys that first uh, exposed the fraud of the of the lockdowns and the, mm-hmm. and the and the mass psychosis that the world was under. You know, of course he got blasted for it, but he doesn't care. Yeah. He's uncancelable. You know, who can cancel me? I don't care. Yeah. You know, you shut down my little studio. <laughs> you know, uh, but it just shows you the power of media. Yeah, you know, it shows you the power of, of the digital world and how we can help kids answer and find questions. You yeah. know, yeah, you know how they find the truth. So here's the second. Here's question number two. Uh, how should I live in today's world? Yeah, that's a big one. What's moral? Yeah, and is there anything such as morality? If there's no God, why is there, why are there morals? Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're being told by uh, political leaders, the mainstream media, and the elites that the moral thing to do is to accept, you know, everybody's truth. But if you're denying that there's a God, then you can't force your morals on me. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. you're you're uh, you know you're arguing against your own stance. You know, there is no God. I can do what I want to do. But the moral thing to do is to accept what I'm right. Okay. How about if I just where are we at in that? Yeah. The other half of your argument, there is no God, so there is no morality, so you're an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> that's your answer. Why to can't the I just yeah, say yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't accept your version of the truth. Whenever somebody begins the phrase with "my truth," mm-hmm. I always discount it. That's it's an oxymoron. I, yeah. I'm thinking that's the right the right term, but yeah. it's it's very much you moron know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we you know in order to find truth. In anything, yeah, you have to go to the creator of that thing, right? Exactly. There's this, and, and the creator knows the intention behind the creation, exactly, and that's where the truth is found, right? The fact, my truth, just means opinion, right? I mean, that's all it is, exactly. And we have people like the vice president of the United States who is giving speeches talking about my truth, yeah. You know, it's been mainstream so far that people are being just brainwashed into the thing. No, there's not your truth and my truth. Mm-hmm. There is truth. Jesus is the truth. Yeah, there is truth, and That's everything it. else is not true. Two plus two is four. That's the only answer. I don't care <laughs> well, what Common Core math might bring you to another place. I don't care what place. new math says. Have you, been, have you seen any Common Core math? I have an eight-year-old, Yeah, uh, so, and our math homework is you know, fun. The only rule about Common Core math is every problem has to take at least one entire page. Right. It's like... And, uh, was it Nate Bargassi that said? And somewhere along the line, old math shows up. <laughs> well, we just do that at the top. Man. Yeah, <laughs> it's right, like, right. And that's that's the real answer. Well, truth is a force mm-hmm. that you're not allowed to redefine. It's yeah. truth. Up is up and down is down. You know, in is in and out is out. Yeah. It's, 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 it's basic uh, human reason mm-hmm. that's under assault here, you yeah, know? and it's not that opinions are bad. I mean, no. their opinions are going to have, but but don't don't masquerade them as truth. Yeah, as my label truth. it as an. It's opinion. an opinion. It's an opinion. Yeah, and and that's okay. And I have plenty of. Opinions. And here's the cool thing <laughs> that I've noticed that the elite and all of the social media, you know, tyrants, you know, decide what truth is, and if you don't agree, you're banned. Yeah. Right. You, oh, we have to. 
We have to kick you out. <laughs> you violated our community standards. Yeah. I love how this, uh, they're always moving the goalposts. You know, it's all, oh, this is against our community. This is hate. Right, right. You know, oh, so hate is anything that you disagree with. Yeah. And I say, oh, yeah. I got it. Yeah. So, you know, and the church is just um, brave enough to say, yeah, I'm going to stick with the truth. But isn't it, man, wouldn't it just be, if you, if you stand back and you look at it, yeah. if we're preaching truth, if we're speaking truth, and we're speaking God's word into people's life, wouldn't it be considered hate if I didn't do that? Yeah. Isn't it love that I do present truth to you? Now, yeah. the, the love doesn't mean that you're going to like it. Yeah. Love doesn't mean that your feelings won't be hurt. Look, right. if I've read the Bible plenty of times in my life and felt like, well, that kind of hurts my feelings a yeah. little bit, but yeah. we have to deny our feelings and deny ourselves yeah. in which, in that. Which circles us back to how should I live in today's world? Right. And the Bible has a clear answer. Yeah, you know of how a person is supposed to live. A disciple of Jesus is a person that decides to live his life based on the values and teaching of his Savior. Yeah, I'm gonna live my life according to Jesus. Not I'm gonna adjust Jesus' teachings to fit my lifestyle. Yeah, that's the key. I'm going to adjust my lifestyle to fit the teachings of Jesus. Now, you can reject Jesus if you want. Mm -hmm. You don't have to live for him if you don't want to. But at the same time, you're going to get to tell me that I'm immoral because I don't live your lifestyle. Right. Well, according to Jesus, he gets to judge morality. Yeah. You know, And he's the one that said, love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor like you love yourself. You know, That was you know, the basis of Jesus' teaching was he was out to serve God and to help people. And I think when we get too far away from that truth, we wander into the weeds of our own sin. You yeah. know? I want to justify what I'm doing. Yeah. Isn't it, it's, it's interesting that the, the amount of peace that comes to your life with living yeah. as Jesus lays out. Yeah. Interesting. Now, again, it doesn't, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt at times, but, but that just inner sense of peace, yeah. whereas those who are far from it, and right. I've been far from it in my life, right. that peace wasn't there. Yeah. And Christianity is about life change. Right. When you come to church, it is about the Word of God challenging your lifestyle. Right. That's the whole point. Otherwise, it's just a social club. Mm -hmm. We're going to just show up and everybody bring a covered dish. Okay, cool. That's a covered dish dinner. Mm -hmm. Or we can go to the real purpose of Christianity, and let's talk about life change. Yeah. You know, if, is your life working out like you want it to? Then maybe it's the choices that you're making in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a hard truth to swallow. Paul said the gospel is offensive. Yeah. And we do it a disservice if we try to make the gospel unoffensive. No, the gospel is offensive. Period. It gets in your face and says, you are a sinner and you need to change. And here's how that can happen. Mm -hmm. That's a brutal message, yeah. man. I mean, Jesus talks about that the, the road is narrow, right. which leads to eternal life, right. and it's wide that leads to destruction. Right. And many, it's easy to follow are, that road. Many go in, you know, yeah. I want to I I be in the, the ecumenical church where everybody's accepted and everybody can do what they yeah. Look, that's called the world. Go live in the world and do whatever you want to do and take the broad road to hell. Yeah. You're free to do that. But you don't get to come to the narrow road and redefine it for us. Come on. Yeah. You know, the, the narrow road, is, Jesus said, narrow is the road, and narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few there be that go into it. Mm. Okay, there's few of us. Fine with that. There's 11 out of 50 million, mm. you know, that are going to go that road or that are going down that road. Yeah. But life change is the whole point of the gospel. Mm -hmm. How do I live in today's world? I you think know? Jesus points it out, and it's one of those things, and I... And maybe some of the the difficulty in understanding this is that we 
many people have not preached the gospel as Jesus yeah. did, is that Jesus lays it out in, in, in the gospels in Luke 9.23 when he talks about, um, for those who want to follow me must deny themselves, yeah. and carry your cross, and follow me. Well, that's a big one. He lays it out. How do you live? How do you follow Jesus? Which is just the opposite of the world. The world says, right. embrace yourself and, and your do, truth. do whatever you want to do. Your feelings right. Go do that. matter. But if you want to follow Jesus, amen. Some some uh, of the worldly Christians blow my mind that they want to turn Jesus into, you know, uh, their own image mm. of their sin. Well, Jesus was for this. Yeah, you're, you're just an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm using that word a lot today. Yeah, but please don't try to convince me that your sin trumps God's word. Yeah, you just do your deal. Hey, go go do your deal and be who you want to be. But God's word is still God's word, yeah. you know, and, and, and God's word challenges our lifestyle and he makes it clear that my choices matter. Right. I want to change my life. I have to make new choices. It's on me. Yeah. You know, I can't force you to accept my lifestyle. I have to decide if my lifestyle is bringing me the results that I'm looking for. All right. Question number three. This generation is asking, am I loved? Hmm. Who can I trust? And does anybody really care about me? Wow. That's the third question. Am I loved? And man, I think sometimes uh, because of the nature of the gospel, pastors like myself may make people feel unloved, and that's never our intention. Mm -hmm. However, if you're standing in a in darkness, living in sin, and somebody lights a candle. It's going to, you know, expose your darkness. Yeah. So you attack the messenger, you know. But I do believe we, as uh, a, a generation of pastors, have to be very clear that the church loves sinners. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That's who Jesus hung out with. He did. He spent his life hanging out with sinners, eating meals, going to their houses. Right. But he also was direct about their sin. When the woman was caught in the, in the act yeah. of adultery, he said to her, go and sin no more. Right. This has to change in your life. Yeah. And the woman at the well that he talked to, he said, go tell your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, well, since you're bringing that up, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now, you're not even married to. Jesus got real, man. That's probably my favorite mic drop moment of Jesus teaching. You're yeah. right. You've had five. Oh, you, you, you know, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. <laughs> and the one you're shacking up with now, you're not even married. Yeah. And she's like, "Who? you are a prophet. Yeah. 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 But Jesus didn't, didn't mess around. You know, uh, Zacchaeus up the tree, mm -hmm. you know. He, he confessed to Jesus, you know, I've stolen from people. You know, I've, I've done all these horrible things to gain wealth. Mm. So Jesus didn't just cut him, a, cut him slack. He went to his house. You know, one of his disciples was a tax collector. Mm -hmm. You know, probably the most hated people in, uh, in Rome at the time because you could buy a franchise to become a tax collector and then set your own rate, send most of it to Rome and keep as much as you want for yeah. yourself. These people were hated. Yeah. But Jesus picked one to be his disciple. But do you think Jesus ever challenged him on his abuse of power? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know? And I think it's an important dis uh, distinction to make is that, yes, Jesus hung out with sinners, and partly because it was the only people there. Right. I mean, that's the only, 
Beside outside of Jesus, that's the everyone only, sins. That's the only kind of people there are. That's, I mean, so We're if you're going to hang out with somebody, it has to be a sinner, yeah. right? Yeah. But I think it's important to draw the line and, and make the distinction that yes, he hung out with sinners. Yes, he ministered to sinners. Yeah. He didn't sin with the sinners. No. He didn't and participate. He, and he didn't justify and affirm it. Yeah. And he didn't affirm it. He called right. them out on it. So you know, the church has to walk this balance here of loving sinners, but calling them out on their sin, mm-hmm. like somebody did for me. Look, when I got saved, every time the pastor would preach for the first year, I thought he was following me around. <laughs> like, how, how does he know what I'm doing, man? Right. Why is he, but then I, as I grew older, I realized, oh, he also fought the same battles. Yeah. He knew what it was like to be a sinner coming into faith, you know? Mm-hmm. So my first couple of years in Christianity, I was a mess, man. I was, I was living a, a wicked lifestyle. And every time I went to church, I got called out on it, man. Mm-hmm. That, but that's what brought me to change, uh, to a changed life mm-hmm. is I, got, I kept constantly getting confronted on my lifestyle. I think it's key too there in that, because you bring up that point and that's good, is that when you look at the woman at the well, yeah. right? And the same thing on how Jesus kind of called out yeah, her sin and in, 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 in her situation in life. Right. It's difficult for for many to have that conviction and feel that. Yeah. And to stick around. Right. That, like, how do we navigate them through that? Right. And I think that what's what's interesting with the woman at the well story is that she went and told people. Yeah. And it and it, my favorite part of that whole story is that and then and then all these people believed in Jesus. The not whole city of, came to Christ. Because of yeah. the conviction that yeah. was on her heart. But she must have felt loved right. by Jesus. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where we want to be. We want our church to be a loving church that loves people in their sin, mm-hmm. but too much to leave them in their sin. Right. right. And man, God give us grace. Let the ministry of Jesus flow through us, you know, that we can love sinners mm-hmm. just like they are. You know, but allow them also to be confronted with the truth of God's word, you know, and how God has called us all to love and live, mm-hmm. you know. So am I loved? And we want to make sure that our, our kids know that they are loved, yeah. you know, that they're valued. And I think it's also, it's, it's not, I don't want to say redefining, but really giving a true definition of what love is. Yeah. I think so many times we, in our modern culture and just, the way we're raised, we think of love as just rainbows and butterflies and everything's yeah. great and everything, everybody feels good. And, yeah. and like Which I is said, a very poor definition of love. Right. And yeah. maybe it's the movies, maybe it's just, yeah. uh, you know, whatever, any number of things that it can right. be. But I think knowing that love is being confronted with truth. Yeah. Because like I said before, like I love you enough to bring you truth because I don't want you, you to go to yeah. hell. Well, if you're raising kids, you know, you love your kids unconditionally and do anything for them. But if they're crossing the street, you won't think twice about pulling them by the arm to save their life. Right. Or you won't, you won't think twice about, Hey, you can't ride your bike anymore alone until you learn how to navigate traffic. So you're willing to, you know, administer punishment right. in the name of love. You know, if there's a train coming, you know, and uh, I think we all get to that point where we got to teach our kids how to cross, you know, the street or cross a train track. You know, you don't mind. Yeah, hey, there's a train coming. Stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a form of love. I think, you know, Andy, what made the biggest difference in my first two years as a follower of Jesus, I had a mentor. Uh, we had a Sunday school uh, 
department at our church, at a little church that I went to. And we had like four or five Sunday school classes. But the lady that taught the teenager Sunday school class became a mentor to me. Yeah. And I know to this day that woman loved me. Mm-hmm. Now, she wasn't always easy on me. Mm-hmm. She would call me out. She would rebuke me. But I had no doubt in my mind ever of her love for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so key in ministry, you know, especially in student ministry, is that our young people have mentors, you know, and people that they know love them, mm-hmm. you know, unconditionally and who are willing to call them out when, when they're wrong. Yeah, and you've got a million people in your life who are going to affirm your bad choices. Yeah. And affirm Good point. Th- the things that you're doing in your life that don't really line up. Right. It's rare to find the mentors, like you said, or the people who are not afraid to speak truth. Yeah, and say, hey, that's not a good idea. Hey, you've got something between your teeth today. You yeah, need to get so, that out. Or yeah, you've got, hey. And you got to deal with yeah, this. Or, man. hey, yeah. you know, what you're doing right now is leading you on yeah. a bad path, right? The people yeah. you're hanging out with, the, yeah. the actions that you do, you know, the words you're saying, any of those things. Um, yeah. And and oftentimes, and again, it comes back to that kind of construed idea of what love is, is yeah. that we we would see the people who are affirming us yeah. as love. Right. Where that's not necessarily yeah. true. Yeah. In but fact, somebody who's willing to say the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's fact, love. What, that's what love. You say? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that that's, yeah. that's love. Yeah. To tell yeah. someone. Now, it's also... You know, smart and wise on the person's behalf to 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 speak truth and love. Right, right. It's you know, if somebody's constantly coming down on you and you don't really know why and you don't yeah. feel the love, then then yeah. it's easy to kind of fall away from that. They may be speaking the truth, but and, they're not. And you do- feel abused, right? Or why are you always yelling at me? <laughs> right. Yeah. But you know, I think what John said about Jesus, grace and truth mm-hmm. came by Jesus Christ. And you think those words are just chosen at random, or that was just no? The Holy Spirit picked those two words out because it gives us a recipe for how to have a real relationship. Yeah. You got to have grace and truth. You know, you can't have just grace, do whatever you want, have fun, or just truth. You're a bad person and I hate you. <laughs> but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, right. you know. And Paul said it like this, as a believer speak the truth with love. Mm-hmm. That I mean that's a balance, you know. That's that's two sides of the same coin. Truth and grace, truth and love that we, you know, have to internalize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you err too much on the side of love, yeah. right, and that grace side of things, right. then you get half-hearted, not yeah. true yeah. followers of Jesus. Yeah. Whereas if you err too far on the side of truth, yeah. they just leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, no one's going to really stick around right. for, you know, if you're a drill sergeant in their life, yeah. you know. It's... And as a church, we want to be known as a church about what we are for. Yeah not about what we are against. Right. I don't want to make a list. These are all the things that are wrong. There's, that'd be a long list because the world is wrong. The mm-hmm. world is screwed up. Mm-hmm. We want to be a church that says we love sinners and Jesus loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. Amen. And how can we balance truth and grace? I, question number four, uh, does my life matter? Man. Because you know every teenager goes through that a period of self-loathing, like mm-hmm. nobody cares. I'm ugly. I have pimples. My hair sticks up. You know, yeah. I, I have my buck. I have buck teeth. It, you know, <laughs> y'all. You feel like you're like a walking monster show when you're 14. Oh, you know, my goodness, yeah. even though it's not nearly as bad as you think, but because of your hormones. You know, back in uh, 
back in the 80s, Dr. James Dobson was like the guru of families, and he founded a ministry called Focus on the Family, and all of the pa- parents in that generation, we all looked to Dr. Dobson, Dr. Dobson for you know, spiritual advice and raising kids and building a family. Well, Dobson says something in one of his books that still rings so true, that uh, the moment that hormones flood the the brain of an adolescent uh, child, they lose their mind. Mm. And man, it really helped me to understand how to raise teenagers. So before my kids were teenagers, I, we did a lot of research in what happens in the adolescent brain. You know, so we were prepared when our kids went insane. Like, okay, Doctor Dobson said this is going to happen. This is fine. I got to just guide my children through this process and explain to them what's going on. You know, so we, we would tell all of our kids, hey, look, right now you're going through uh, adolescence. You have all these new hormones in your brain. Life doesn't make sense. You loathe yourself. And let's bring you back to truth. You know, here, you're going to make it through this. You're going to be okay. But you got to just trust that I'm making decisions for you right now. Yeah. You know, and I would ask my, my kids questions. If they want to go out, where are you going? Who will be there? Are there any adults? What time will you come home? Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are just questions that we would form around our teenagers' lives because they weren't making good choices mm-hmm. because of, you know, you know, the chemicals re- and yeah, all the, that fun chemical stuff. reactions that bring, you know, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and when you're raising kids and, you know, you're raising kids and, and you, you pastor a lots of kids, you know, you know, that kids aren't famous for making good decisions. <laughs> you know, they just make really bad decisions. Right. You know, right. Uh, what, what you want for dinner? Uh, ice cream. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, no, that's, and that goes back to our, you know, the whole idea of, of, uh, Letting these kids make these lifelong decisions yeah. at what age? Yeah. It just doesn't, you know. I mean, it, you could hardly trust twenty-five-year-olds, right? At yeah. a certain point, it's and, and and we're 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 granting authority over life choices that should not be made by a child because it's their truth and yeah. their feelings. Yeah, and the problem becomes, you know, I don't want to say problem, but it but it can become a problem. Is that how are we? as parents yeah. shepherding our children. Yeah, and that is probably the question. Because you know who makes disciples? Parents. Yeah. Not the church. Right. Parents make disciples. Right. Because they are the primary spiritual influencer in the lives of their children. 100%. Not the school, not the church, not, Disney. not the government, not Walt Disney World for sure. They, they've lost their minds. Yeah. You know, Disney has lost their mind. You know, they stop saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Welcome to the Magic Kingdom. For some reason, that hurts people's feelings. So Disney. So I don't want Disney raising my kids. Mm. I don't want the school boards raising my kids. I don't want the church raising my kids. Yeah. I want to raise my kids. Right. And parents are the primary responsible party in raising children and in making disciples. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important as a church that we equip, we empower, and we encourage parents yeah, yeah. to be that. Right. Because I think so often we can, you know, from a parent's perspective, maybe we, we feel unqualified yeah. to be that person. And we probably are. Yeah. Most part, <laughs> You're right. Because we are a work in progress ourselves. Right. So parents never feel like, I have it all together. Yeah. I got it all figured out. I know what to know. Yeah. Parents usually are trying to piece it back together themselves. Yeah. And, but the, the, I guess the key in all of that is that you don't have to be an expert in any field to be a, a shepherd of someone. Yeah. You don't you you're never going to have everything always figured no. out. 
No. Right? You, you're never going to know the answer to every question that's right. going to be brought. You're never going to know the right plan and, and, and path to take for this and that and the other. But you can guide them yeah. alongside with them. And you know and that scripture, uh, we didn't get to it yesterday. I wish we would have, mm-hmm. uh, the one in Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, when you wake up, when you eat your meal, when you travel, and when you go to bed yeah. are the four times that parents have the most influence yeah. on their children. Yeah. Early morning, meal time, commuting time, and bedtime. Mm-hmm. Man, you know... How much discipling goes on that's probably just unintentional in those four parts of the day? Hmm. You know, when you get your kids up, when you put them to bed, when you commute. You know, uh, I would always drive my kids to school. Uh, We homeschooled uh, our kids off and on, and then we put them in public school off and on, and then we did private school in their high school years. We did that uh, uniquely for each child. We built, um, you know, a educational plan for each child individually. They didn't all follow the exact same pattern. But what we did follow patterns for all of our kids was I was their commuter driver. Mm -hmm. Every day I would leave work to go get my kids from school. Sometimes I'd leave at 2.30 or 3 o'clock. You know, it was part of my work day, and everybody on staff knew I was going to get my kids Mm -hmm. because... That was part of my discipleship plan was I was with them yeah. and we had conversations. And some and most honestly, most days it was just you know, yeah. benign, meaningless conversations. Uh, what happened in history and what'd you have for lunch and you know, what what's, the, what's your girlfriend, what girl you have a crush on, stuff like that. But every now and then, Andy, yeah, I would I would be in the middle of a divine moment. I would get a question that would just change everything. Yeah. You know, Dad, uh, I'm struggling with this. And it would come out of nowhere unexpectedly. But I thought to myself, had I not been there for the other 200 days, right. I never would have gotten that one moment yeah. that shaped their personality, yeah. that made uh, a core value mm-hmm. stick. You know, uh, and I think I, I think those moments are, are, are rare, but they are they are irreplaceable. Yeah, you nope. bring up that point. It's that so much of discipleship is just availability and presence. Being there. Being there for someone. Right. What was the percentage we said yesterday? Uh, and we may not have said it in the message. Maybe you said it before. But the number of uh, percentages it, when families eat meals together, they, they tend to... Um, mm have stronger really I can't remember exactly I don't know what that percentage is but what I was I was gonna get to actually that part there is that like so for me personally in my family yeah we didn't grow up in a in a family that was that went to church very often if at all um but there was so much presence yeah that my parents had in my life I never one time like there's so many things that I learned from my parents yeah indirectly right they never taught you they just you learned it because you were there with them we sat at the dinner table every night yeah i wish i remember that number but how the percentage of kids who stay connected to god and their family is directly related related to the number of meals they have with their family wow just eating together yeah just eating together i mean it it, it, you're not it's not really the meal more than it is you're around the table community yeah. Being together, the, yeah. the trust, yeah. everything that gets built in, the into conversation. that, the conversations that you have. Yeah. And there were so many conversations as a kid that, like, our one of our favorite things to do, 
Uh, and again, not a, not a family that really went to church and really yeah. had those discussions or anything. Yeah. But again, the presence was so huge. One of our favorite things to do was we would watch Iron Chef. Oh my gosh. When, as we were eating Fun. dinner and we would just, did you ever watch Mystery Science Theater? Oh, yes. We, me and my dad, we just felt like we were that. We were heckling the show the whole time. MS3TK? <laughs> Absolutely, man. And we liked that show, too. But like yeah. we would, that's how we would act together. Yeah. Yeah, we would just that. critique the Iron Chef. Yeah, and oh, it, we would watch so the one that was like dubbed from, so from Japanese to so this. Fun, and it was man. just, it was hilarious. Yeah. But it's those moments in my life and yeah. in my in, in growing up that I go back to. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when I raise my kids, yeah. like we want to have those moments together. Yeah. So we we eat at the dinner table together. Yeah. We, even if they're both crying and pitching a fit and don't right. want to, we're here. I, yeah. Listen, tonight this is going to be a cry fest. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get. I was together. raised by a, a man. My dad and mom grew up in the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So this generation's gone now. You know, all, all of those people have passed or are nearly passed. But every day at four thirty, four thirty. Every day we ate dinner. Mm. It wasn't even a question. It wasn't like, what time would dinner be ready? My dad walked in the door about 4.30. He'd, he'd go wash his hands. My mom would have dinner on the table. And me and my dad and my brothers who were still home, I was the baby of the family. Most of my family, uh, brothers and sisters, already got married and moved out, would have dinner every day at 4.30 mm. until I was 18 years old. I thought everybody did that. I, th I thought everybody had dinner at four thirty. I thought it was normal. You know, I was like I never no had a one has dinner at four thirty. And that never really happened. You know, <laughs> yeah. Other than everything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it all seemed like boring. My dad would drink one glass of milk. I mean, I used to watch it. I would just <laughs> every day. I would say, "Would it go for a second glass today?" He never went for a second glass. He drank one glass of milk. Yeah. Every day. But it's dinner. interesting how how much routine yeah. and structure yeah. plays a huge part. Yeah. In a child's life. And kids need that. They, they, they hate it, but they need it. Yeah. They need a bedtime. Yeah. They need a bath time. They need a get up time and to go to bed time. They need a, that's homework time. Mm -hmm. All those things we hate. That's what vacations are for, to blow that off. Mm -hmm. But vacation is no fun if every day is the vacation. Right. You know, it's no, you don't enjoy it. You don't realize, you know, the, the, the stress-free part of life if you don't live under some stress, you know. And it's why those it boundaries, yeah. too, those boundaries yeah. prove love. Right, and that is love, man. Right. No, you can't do that. No, you can't have another cookie. Yeah. Well, I want a cookie. Well, no, you can't have one. Yeah. Not until you're 25 and you're buying your own cookies. <laughs> Tonight you're not getting one. That's love. Yeah. You know, and I think I think it's so powerful that verse Deuteronomy uh, is when you disciple your kids, mm -hmm. when you wake up, when you go to bed, when you share a meal, and when you commute. You know, those are the four main time of main times of discipleship. Yeah. You know, and I think that helps to remind kids that your life matters. Right. I'm here with you. You know, mm -hmm. fifty percent, more than fifty percent of the kids in America do not live under the roof with both their parents. And we wonder why this generation is at risk. Yeah, you know, absentee fathers is the is the is the most pressing problem in the world. Yeah, it and it, that alone would change a generation. If dads would raise their kids, hmm. it would be huge. So I mean, that's that's our job, Andy. Mine and your job as pastors of this church is to encourage, equip, and empower dads to yes. love their kids. Absolutely. And the best way to love your kids is to love their mom. Mm -hmm. That's the most That's powerful right. way. Your kids, it's, it's crazy how much how much security kids draw from their parents' marriage. Yeah, you know, I've talked to adult adults 
whose parents got divorced when they were adults. You know, when the child grew up 25 and living off and mom and dad got divorced and that, that child would tell me that rocked my world. Yeah. My, my 60 and 70 year old mom and dad got divorced and I can't get over it. Mm. This is an adult telling me that, you know, much less a seven year old who has to explain my mommy and daddy don't live together anymore. And I don't know why. Maybe it's my fault. Mm. And that just kind of brings to you know mind that the design of marriage yeah. was designed with intentionality and yeah. purpose. Yeah. It's it's between a man and a woman for life. It is. It's you know when we say those vows at yeah. a wedding, you right. know it's not it's just no words because it's you're just signing a contract and it's right. just words you have to say. Right. There is depth There's and purpose. purpose behind the words that we're saying and the Absolutely. intention behind marriage. Right. And I think we forget how much that shapes society, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because divorce is so rampant. It's just, it's just accepted. You know, I, I'm going to get married. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just get married again. And I'll just yeah. get married again. And I know a lot of people have been divorced and I get it. I, I even addressed it yesterday with our church because yeah. mm-hmm. half our church has been divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I want to acknowledge the pain of your divorce but also that you have some brokenness that you have to deal with because of it. Now, God, divorce is a sin, but it's not the unforgivable sin. You can get no. right with God and move on. And I know God can bless remarriages and blended families. I get all of that. But I don't want for a moment to discount the carnage in your life that is a direct result of your broken marriage. Yeah. Jesus can heal it, but you've got to own it. These mm. are based on my choices things that I did or that my spouse did to me. But it is it is a significant part of the problems in America today is the broken family. Yeah. You know, and, and children walk away thinking their life doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. when uh, Rachel and I got married, we got married young, right out of high school, you know, but we just made a deal. We're never going to get a divorce, no matter what. Never. Mm-hmm. We never said the D word, mm. ever, in 40 years. Not because we didn't, not because we never fought. We fought a lot. And there was times we felt like we didn't love each other. But divorce was never even on the table. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. We're going to figure a way out to get through this. And until we do, we're going to stay together. You know, and I, every family has to make their own, you know, determination about that. But marriage is the key to bring in value and meaning to the life of a child. Mm-hmm. You know, does my life matter? Yeah. can be answered in the context of the family. Here's the last question. We're going to wrap it up. We're almost out of time. Um, can I make a difference? Wow. Do I really matter in this world? Yeah. Man. Am I just a number? Yeah. Am I just a speck? Yeah. Am, am I no. just another another drone? Yeah. No, you are made by God with a purpose, and I think every child has to discover purpose. Right. What is the purpose that I'm here for? Yeah, and I think when you, when you, you know, one way to answer many of these questions, if not all of them, again, is directly from Scripture, is that we were created in God's image. Yeah. And if God is a creator, yeah. we're, we have some of that image, too. We and have purpose. There's he something. sowed in every chromosome yeah. of our being purpose. Yeah. You know, somebody said there are two great days in the life of a human. Number one, the day they are born, and number two, the day they discover why. Yeah. We're all been born, but not everybody's figured out why yet. Yeah. 
You know, so we want to help our kids figure out why. Mm-hmm. Why are you here? Let them wrestle with it. Yeah. You know, and you'll wrestle with it till you're 30 years old. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's okay. As long as you're in a wrestling match, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like you go to college and you change your major four times. That's normal. Because yeah. you don't really know why you're here. You know, do I want to be a doctor or a truck driver? You know, do I want to go to welding school or do, do I want to go yeah. to, to law school? Yeah. You know, or do I want to get married and be a housewife? Mm-hmm. All those things are valuable and important. But why are you here? But I think it's it's too, like when we look at the, the state of like society and culture and where we're at right now, we're forcing decisions younger and younger yeah. in life. And, and we, you know, we've talked the gender thing, and obviously that's, yeah. that's part of it too. But kids... And I don't want to get on soapbox here, but are so often pushed to becoming adults before they're ready to yeah. become adults. Yeah, and, and, and some of that could be because of the broken family. Right. There's just a necessity yeah. to, to be in that position. Um, but we're we're deciding who am, who am I mm-hmm. before they've had time to even discover it. Yeah, or or, so or we've assigned identity. Yeah, to our kids. Yeah, and. Um, you know, it's okay to wrestle, like you said, with that. Yeah. You know, like we, I've had plenty of students. It's like I just don't know where I go to college. I don't know where I do all that. And it's like you're you're in a good place. It's okay. It's okay that you're doing that. The yeah. fact that you're you're struggling with this, yeah, is good. Is good. Right. The I, struggle's good. I know when I was you know seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. You know I didn't really struggle with that because I just right. not because I knew it's because I didn't know and I just really didn't care. Right. You know, and that's you know that's not the way it should be done. But right. But the fact that we're wrestling with those ideas of, or we're asking these questions, yeah, who am I? What is my purpose? That is yeah. huge. That is, and I think ministry-wise, it is our responsibility to create a place where people can struggle with these questions. Yeah, I don't want to just give you the answer. I'm going to tell you what the answer is found, but it's an open book test. Mm-hmm. Go study the book, man. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when uh, I'm not a very good counselor, I'm not a trained counselor. You know, my counsel is go read the Bible and do it. <laughs> All right, next. Yeah. Go read the Bible and do it. Yeah. That's where the answers are. It's an open book test. Right. But you got to read the book hmm. and go back until you find the answer, you know? And sometimes it's just a, uh, it's a growing process that, you know, you grow into it, you know? You, you don't have a, a successful marriage on day one. It takes about, you know, about 10 years to get to kind of find your groove, yeah. you know? Take about another about another 10 years to find groove how to raise kids. Yeah. And by the time you get all that figured out, they all grow grow up and move out. Yeah. And oh, wait, don't leave. I got it all figured out now. It's too late. They're <laughs> yeah. all gone. Now you write a book on yeah. it. And... I wish you did. I'd have known this when you were still living here. Right. <laughs> but right. now you've all grown up and they're going to go figure it out. But that that is life. Mm-hmm. That's part of the beauty of life is that we get to struggle, mm. you know, that we get to learn, you know. You ever watch a toddler learn how to walk? Mm. It's mostly falling and bumping heads and scraping knees. Yeah. It's the struggle that is the beauty of the walk, mm-hmm. you know. That, and I think God lets us all struggle. Like a bird, the first time it flies out of its nest, usually hits the ground or, you know, doesn't do a really good job. But it is in the struggle that we develop our muscles and that we want our, our, our students and our, our journey kids to have a place to struggle with these questions right. and find the answer. Can I make a difference? Yeah. You know, uh, what really matters in life? Or how about this? What is a life well lived? Mm. How do you know that you're living the good life? You know, right. I think that's what we want our kids to fight with. You know, that we don't want to just be, uh, uh, you know, just uh, imitating a video that we saw on TikTok. You know, I'm going to eat a Tide Pod or I'm going <laughs> to. You know, I'm going to throw an egg at a dog or whatever the latest craze is, you yeah. know. And I get it. That's just you know, some simple, you know, childhood fun. But 
what's the bigger purpose of life? You right. know, you know, when when you graduate high school, where are you going to go to college? When you finish college, what are you going to do for a living? Or mm-hmm. if you don't go to college, not not everybody should go to college. And I think that's a one of the mistakes that our culture has sold that everybody has to go to college. No, we need people building roads and bridges and we need people driving trucks and, and welding. You know, that's what makes life happen. Man. Right. We need people who are going to find their, their niche and their, I think this is called niche. Now I think they changed their pronunciation for it. We need everybody to find their niche, <laughs> you know, to, to, to contribute. And we need people who can cook great uh, cupcakes and we Amen. need, we need that. climb mountains and people that can fly airplanes and, you know, what is your purpose? Yeah. You know, so look into the eyes of your kids and say, what is your purpose? Why did God put you? I don't know, Dad. Then go find out why. Yeah. Why you're going to school. I changed my major like three times in college. Oh, yeah. You know? Now, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. That much I was sure of. But I wasn't sure what path was the right one to get there. Mm-hmm. So for two years, I majored in mass communications. You know, I studied television and radio. Back then, that was the big thing before the Internet was even. I went to college before the Internet was invented. That's how did you I do am. college? I know. How could you even go? How could you even breathe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I was out of college before the Internet was invented. You know, because wow. the, the Internet was a prototype, you know, uh, by the U.S. military for mm-hmm. 40 years. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really the Internet until like 1995. You didn't have cat videos? No no cat videos. We we had real live cats. (laughs) Yeah, we had had dogs and we had, you know, we had, uh, we climbed trees, you know, and we did fun stuff. So, but I changed my major over and over again trying to find out who I am. Then finally, I, when, I, when I finally dropped out of college, I took a job as an insurance salesman, and then I managed a restaurant. And then, you know, I, I worked odd jobs until I found something that I loved. You know, but I think that's part of the beauty of the human experience, man, mm. It's the struggle. Yeah, I think that too, like, you know, for me, I just, it was so long before I really found my passion. Yeah. Um, you know, there like you changed my major plenty of times. I mean, I yeah. literally. What was your first major? Oh my in college? gosh! So my first college major was business administration ah, because it go. was a two-year degree yeah. and it was like typing on Word yeah. and Excel and it was stuff I knew how to do. And <laughs> then you guys I had switched. the internet when you went to college. Yeah, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, you big did? time. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I had internet. That's all. That's another story. So you're an internet baby. Time. From the, what year were you born? I, Eighty-nine. Yeah. So you grew up with the internet. Yeah, I grew yeah. up with the internet. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So uh, with the dial tone and yeah. all that fun stuff. Remember that the handshake, the, the crazy, <laughs> creepy sound when the computer was logging on. If my mom would get on the phone to your landline. Oh yeah. You wait for it to load up. Your mom picks up the phone. You got to start all over, man. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is gonna download in three hours. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> man, that's so that's fast. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember the game? Uh, remember the game Oregon Trail? You oh yeah. Play that? Yeah. When you die from dysentery. Yeah. <laughs> it took like two days for it to load. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. was so. That was me in middle school yeah. in our in our lab. We would always play Oregon Trail. But yeah. but so my first was business administration, and then I switched to uh, to X-ray technology. Yeah. Oh. That's yeah, a, radiology. That's a big step. And that was only because my friend was doing it too. And I was like, okay, we'll do that. And I literally was in radiology for like two months. And I dropped <laughs> out. I got and then I yeah. then I just kind of worked for a while. And then I went uh, for PE. So yeah. I literally majored in everything Man, you, you can. you just hit the gamut, I was, bro. I was like, I'm going to try everything yeah. out. Uh, you should be a truck driving school. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I eventually, I did graduate with PE yeah. and everything. And then I didn't teach PE. Yeah. Right? I taught for six years. Yeah, but you did coach, though. I did coach, yeah. um, but for six years I was I was working with students and everything. And it's it, what's interesting to me is that in all of that struggle, yeah. God had a purpose for me. Yeah. 
but he let me kind of navigate and discover it. And yeah. I think that's what we need to do. Right. So we don't force it upon somebody. Right. I think the fact that I struggled and I navigated makes me appreciate it even yeah. more. Yeah. Um, when you finally do discover what your passion and what your purpose is yeah. in life. And, and all along, you know, many, you know, when I was doing education and everything, I, I knew I had a passion for youth. I knew I had a passion for mentoring kids. Yeah. It, my passion wasn't teaching computer to kids. Right, I mean, right. it wasn't in that way. Right. But ultimately, it was all about youth. It was about this generation. Yeah. Um, and then in that, to be able to discover, yeah. hey, you have the right passion, but right. it's in the wrong place. And I think that's probably the job of a parent and a pastor and a mentor is to help kids struggle yeah. with that question. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. What's God called you to do? And let's, let's end it on this one. Mm-hmm. So what is a, a life well-lived today? What do you think wow. makes a life well-lived? So do we have 30, 40 more minutes now? we got about three. <laughs> I think a life well-lived. I mean, it goes in everything that we said now, is that if you are, when you find your purpose and your passion, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. and we don't tie our purpose and our passion to a profession yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, it's not about who, what I do, what I can provide, right. but I think when you are in God's will, and um, even in, through the hurts and the and the struggle and all mm-hmm. of that, yeah. if you can struggle through that, I think that's a life well lived. Yeah. I think that that yeah. finding your purpose in that struggle, I think asking the questions like we asked, and mm-hmm. and 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 finding yourself in a community of people who who are okay with asking those questions and yeah. are helping mentor and guide you through yeah. that. Man, I, I wouldn't want to live life any other way. Yeah, I, I, I think you narrowed it down to if you find yourself in the middle of God's will, you know, living your life is a, a life well lived. Mm-hmm. You know, loving God and loving each other and loving yourself. Yeah. You know, John 10, let's close out with this one. John 10 and 10, this is Jesus talking about a life well lived. He's the master. He knows what a life well lived is. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So living a good life is basically finding out who I am in Christ and living my life to bring honor to Him while I'm doing as much good as I can on the earth. Man, Wow, great conversation. Yeah, did we answer any of the questions? I don't know. We've asked a lot of (laughs) questions. We've asked the questions. I think we've helped people get started on answering right. the question we want everybody yeah. you know to have the opportunity andy thanks so much for joining me today. thank you for having it's me been great to have you here uh andy serves every week at journey he's our generations pastor uh, he leads all the ministry from birth through senior high school uh got a great team of about 40 people on your team mm-hmm. you know uh you got a great lead team for preschool and journey kids and journey junior high yeah. and you're also in the public schools a couple times a week and you're doing camps and vbs yeah. you got three camps this summer three yeah three camps so we've this got summer. kids camp tween camp and youth camp yeah right and are you guys taking a road trip or are you going out of town for and we're going on a mission trip to atlanta got a missions trip yeah. uh, so not you got vbs yeah. coming for all ages VBS. and uh and you got a lot of special events planned. I know you got all kind of cool things. And there's like a day in there where I get to breathe. You get too, one so. day off. Yeah, you get to enjoy <laughs> no, yourself. No, it's all great. Yeah. I love it. It's yeah. again, hey, when you find your passion and your yeah. purpose, yeah, the none of that bothers me. Were you, are your kids going? Are your kids going to camp with you? Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, they'll be there. See, that's the best thing, man. I, I love you it. You get to go with your kids yeah. to camp, man. Yeah, and both of my girls get to come to kids oh, camp. Oh, that's gonna be so great, man. So. Do they go to Atlanta with you or no? 
Uh, they normally don't, but they actually might this year. Really? So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great when they grow up a little bit older and they can go with you everywhere you go. Oh, I'm so excited Rich and I for took that. our kids everywhere we went, man. We, we did outreaches. We took our kids. You know, yeah. we, uh, we did special events. You know, our kids, our kids grew up with us. You know, mm -hmm. um, we decided that we weren't going to raise our family separate from the church. We're going to raise our family as part of our ministry at the church. You know, mm -hmm. so we just did life together. And then eventually, uh, occasionally, we would slip off as a family and go do something together. Yeah. I think that may be why I love the mountains of Tennessee so much is mm. because twice a year, every year, for the whole time our kids were growing up, we would go to the mountains, you know, and just be a family and go do fun stuff, ride roller coasters and go fishing and uh, go skiing or whatever, you know, was going on that time of the year, you know. Yeah. It's so beautiful that we got to do life together. And I'm, I'm just happy that you're at that point in your life. Your kids are big enough to go with you old enough to yeah, participate absolutely you. and your spouse your, your wife's gonna go with you it's a whole family ordeal now so i love great, it it's man. so fun and now your wife courtney is our journey kids director absolutely excited about that man rockstar i know, I know I, we introduced her yesterday at to the church and all the parents got to meet courtney mm -hmm. and get to know her so the brains yeah. behind the whole operation. oh yeah we know that i'm uh, just here to be on yeah, your podcast <laughs> yeah you're here for the podcast man well we've enjoyed having you today uh, at Stories I Didn't Tell last Sunday. Uh, this is the weekly podcast from Journey Fellowship Church. Uh, and we tell stories that I didn't get to last Sunday. Hope you've enjoyed today's uh, edition. Uh, there's a whole wealth of uh, archived stories I didn't tell last Sunday on the Journey app. Go back and watch some more. Join us every week. If you live uh, close by Slidell, come visit us live and in person. We are open uh, 3127 Pontchartrain Drive in Slidell. Driving directions on the app and at jf.church. Uh, find out more about us. Go to your, uh, to your app store and type in Journey Fellowship Church in the search bar. Download the Journey app. It is loaded with resources and, informations and uh, information and ways to get connected and involved. And join us uh, Sunday morning. We've got, we got some, so many great things happening at Journey. We'd love to meet you face-to-face -face and get to know you. So this is Doug McAllister for Journey Fellowship Church. And we hope that you have enjoyed today's edition of Stories I Didn't Tell Last Sunday.